Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. Here we go. This is Two for Tuesday. Whether that's a tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short form conversation typically with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us here on Suncast as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. In this particular case, what you are about to hear is content from our career summit. Our career summit was a fantastic series of conversations all about not only how to find your dream job, the perfect opportunity to transition into clean energy as a career, but also how as an industry we can improve the concepts of hiring with justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. We had some amazing conversations around that and you're about to hear one of those right now. You can always find all of the resources and learn more about this episode over on the blog at mysuncast.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing uh, a recent but now uh, dear, dear friend of mine, Catherine McLean. Catherine is the founder of Dylan Green, and she's got a decade of experience in the energy industry, helping companies like the ones that we'll explore today find and grow their talent base. Uh, Catherine has uh, herself been doing some very interesting interviews, so I would encourage you to find her on LinkedIn. Before we get rolling and I bring Catherine onto the stage, I just want to say thank you once again, as we have all day, to our sponsors. And we have a quick message from this our sponsor let's see alex can you run the clip i actually don't see it i thought we had the video clip here uh we'll do that in just in a little bit Uh, but thanks to light source bp our title sponsor for helping bring the suncast career summit to you all thanks so much as well to solaris global our networking sponsor and to soul systems pvel dylan green uh, Amicus Cooperative, Solar Power set, uh, Sets, and uh, PV Magazine, PV Buzz. You all have been wonderful. Thank you for helping us share the message with the masses. Thanks as well to our Suncast tribe. Those of you who've already joined our, uh, our circle of uh, clean energy insiders, uh, we are so happy to be sharing so many uh, job opportunities uh, and and insider tips and, and tidbits and secrets with you. So if you're not sure what we're talking about, then you should register at suncastcareersummit.com and you'll get an email to join the Suncast tribe and check out uh, the conversation that's happening. Uh, but for now, I'm going to go ahead and invite Catherine to the stage. Catherine, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Nico. I'm going to gracefully bow out. The stage is yours, my friend. Um, thank you. So I'm Catherine McLean. I'm founder and CEO of Dylan Green. Uh, Dylan Green is um, a energy, clean energy recruitment firm in the Washington, D.C. area, but we recruit nationally throughout the U.S. Um, I also have a video series called The Green Light, uh, which hopefully uh, people will check out, uh, which is about uh, interviewing clean energy leaders on all kinds of topics, but most recently, obviously, focusing more on TEI initiatives, um, as well as sort of onboarding during uh, a pandemic. Um, I'd now like to introduce the panel um, who are going to be joining me shortly. There they are, Melanie, Lindsay, and Paige. <laughs> um, so ladies, if you could please introduce yourself, we'll start with Melanie. Sure. Thank you, Catherine. And hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm Melanie Santiago Moser. My pronouns are she and her. And I'm the Managing Director for Access and Equity for Vote Solar. We're a national nonpartisan nonprofit organization that works at the state level to promote programs and policies to make solar more affordable and accessible for all. Uh, we've worked with the solar industry hand-in-hand hand for almost 20 years on critical policies like net metering, renewable portfolio standards, rate design, lots of other things that make solar work for you and for our customers. In recent years, we've turned our focus much more sharply to equity when it comes to solar and other clean energy technologies. So I lead up our diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work at Vote Solar, which involves three areas. First, we're working on ourselves as an organization to be more inclusive and representative. Second, we're improving how we work with partners in, in the frontline communities and communities of color. And third, we're honing the programs and the policies that we work on to make sure that we're advocating for solar and clean energy solutions that are more equitable so that we're not repeating and perpetuating injustices that have been intrinsically baked into our current uh, energy system. So uh, we'll go into this later, but I just want to leave right now that, you know, creating an inclusive and representative organization and solar industry is critical for a number of reasons. So thank you again for having me. I look forward to this conversation. Thank you so much, Melanie. Uh, Lindsay? Hi, everyone. My name is Lindsay Reichert. I am a HR and recruitment partner with Cypress Creek Renewables. Um, Cypress Creek, we are a fully integrated solar and storage company. We develop um, our own solar and storage projects, as well as offering asset management and operations and maintenance services for owned and third-party assets. Um, I've been in the HR industry now for um, a decade. It's crazy to call it a decade. Um, and I've been a part of uh, multiple industries, most recently now focusing in energy um, and definitely bringing forward um, a lot of my best practices learned regarding diversity, inclusion, equity, and justice um, initiatives. We have just recently started our own initiative and committee within Cyprus. Um, so really excited to bring those experiences, um, you know, into this conversation, um, as well as leading up our talent acquisition effort. Um, you know, really focusing on building up those diversity pipelines um, so we can bring those into Cypress Creek um, and create a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable um company culture um so i'm excited to join this thank you that's great 
Hi, everybody. So good to be here. Um, I'm Paige Rutten. I'm a project and marketing coordinator with Blue Planet Energy. Um, Blue Planet Energy provides energy storage solutions, low and high voltage. Um, and we focus on grid edge projects where energy is absolutely critical or really high cost. Um, I first found out about Blue Planet Energy after they um, did a, put storage in 120 schools in Puerto Rico that actually also um, act as emergency shelters. So that was really exciting um, and got me really excited about this company. Um, we are a pretty small company. I think there's only about 20 of us. So I do find myself jumping in various other roles, um, which is how I became the main point person for our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Um, so this is something we got into through OSEA, the um, Oregon chapter of SEA. Um, and I can get more into the process, but just want to be able to talk about how it is possible for a small company that doesn't have a designated HR person for this um, to be able to bring some of these initiatives into their company um, and really push these forward um, throughout the whole industry. So excited to see what everyone has to say. That's great. Thank you, Paige. Um, so I want to touch a little bit on these specific DMI initiatives that um, you all mentioned. Um, Melanie, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about the DNI initiative that Vote Solar has and why you felt it was important to launch these programs? Absolutely. As I mentioned, our diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice initiatives actually have three different buckets. It's critical to do this work for a number of reasons. So first, from a workforce perspective, we know that organizations with greater diversity have a better bottom line. And the data tells us that we all need to do better on this front. Second, on the consumer side, we know that communities of color, environmental justice communities, and other historically under-resourced communities are not receiving the benefits of solar. So from a business perspective, that means that opportunities for growth are being left on the table. And from a greater societal perspective, that means that our movement to spread solar is falling into some of the unjust traps of our old energy system, and that our movement's going to have a harder time as a result of that. And third, solar is part of an energy system. System, again, that is ripe with systemic injustices and systemic racism. The fossil-driven energy system has extracted wealth, resources, and health from communities of color. So we have to move forward in a more just and equitable way as we build a future that is powered 100% by clean energy and a lot of that coming from solar, we cannot replicate those injustices that have been baked into our system to date. So again, our, our diversity, equity, and inclusion work has three different buckets of work, some of it internal facing, some of it external facing. Um, with regard to our internal facing work, um, you know, we have done a number of things regarding our hiring and recruiting practices, looking at our salaries, looking at policies and practices internally, but also doing a lot of work on culture. So I don't want to take up too much of the airtime right now because I know we're going to go deeper into that. Um, but, you know, internally, our work takes a number of different forms. So first off, we've been privileged to be part of a learning cohort that has been sponsored by a foundation of different environmental organizations, different green groups who really are focused on and want to learn more and put into practice best practices. So we've been able to participate in a learning cohort with about a dozen other organizations, learn from each other share best practices and get training ourselves. 
Uh, we've been working with a variety of different consultants, um, HR consultants, education consultants, training consultants. As I mentioned, we've revised our recruiting and hiring strategies. So first off, we're very intentionally looking at our job descriptions as a starting point. So we have found excellent tools available, some of them for free, um, to say, look, let's look at the language we're using in our job descriptions and make it more inclusive. A lot of organizations unintentionally use language that is very off-putting for females and other people. So there are some easy things that we can do to streamline some of that language and make our job descriptions more attractive for a wider pool of people. Um, also, we're focusing in our job descriptions much more on skills than on actual experience. So Vote Solar has some extremely skilled, extremely knowledgeable people on our staff, but we've come to realize that, you know, there are a lot of people out there in the world who can contribute their skills to what we do, and we can actually bring them up to speed on what it is we need them to do for solar, for this industry going forward. So we don't need to keep looking for those unicorns out there. The world is much more broad than we think it is. Um, we also, in our hiring practices, um, have instituted hiring committees that are as uh, representative as possible across the organization, across identities like race, gender identity, um, and so on. So that for a few different reasons, first of all, a diverse hiring committee is going to bring different perspectives to a candidate selection process. So check each other, um, as well as a diverse hiring committee is more attractive to candidates from across different backgrounds. So that's important. Additionally, going into any hire for a new candidate for a new job, each hiring committee undergoes a refreshment on bias training. So we go into a hiring process, checking our biases, listing out what are some biases that we might have going into this, knowing what they are so that we can check ourselves if we, you know, and know when and be aware when those biases are uh, arising. Um, so uh, that I'm going to stop now because I'm taking up a, a lot of airtime, but I will tell you that some of these things that we've been doing to adjust our hiring and recruiting process has um uh, afforded us a much, much wider, broader, much more representative pool of candidates for the jobs that we've been listing recently, and we've had much more success. Thank you so much for that. I, I just, you give me hope <laughs> because I think that things like a job description, uh, just making some tweaks here and there, um, and, and, and just accepting people from outside of our industry on a skills-based um, capacity is such an important, important thing. Uh, to do in order to net jobs into our industry. Um, Lindsay, can you tell us a little bit about Cypress Creek's uh, DNI initiatives and, and sort of um, why you guys decided to launch these programs, et cetera? Definitely. So from starting with Cypress Creek, when we were, I started three and a half years ago, um, and it was still very much a startup culture. So things were moving very, very quickly. Um, we were very heavily relying on referrals to, to fill key open positions. And we also didn't necessarily have a baseline for a recruitment process. And so that was leading to, you know, this, this pattern continuing and continuing. Um, you know, now that we've been able to establish ourselves as an HR function, it's about taking those basic steps, looking at the priorities of the company, looking at the habits of our employees because at the end of the day if we want them to be you know 
engaged in this process, you have to look at the habits. And it's a habit-changing process that we have to take over as HR professionals. And that can be really a daunting task to look at. Reinforcement just helps with that. And then taking a look at the systems that we have um, and ensuring that we are able to address, you know, an inclusive and equitable process. Um, We didn't have a recruitment system before um, or a talent management system. So that's something that has been a huge help um, in giving candidate, uh, giving our management team a full overview. Um, those are kind of some of the internal items that we've worked on. We've also just launched this year um, our One Cypress initiative, and this is our um, diversity committee. Um, most recently this month, we launched our series on racial injustice. Um, so we're calling a, a um, kind of a series on injustice so we can kind of continue on the theme in um, different areas um, throughout next year, uh, focusing on racial injustice currently, uh, because definitely our leadership team sees a huge focus um, and huge, um, you know, priority and need to ensure that our employee base has a good understanding of the historical and systemic um, racial injustices that have occurred here. Um, And, you know, we're obviously speaking to a majority of the majority, I guess, of the audience. So it's important for everybody to have that base understanding. So when we actually can, you know, when we do launch these more aggressive diversity recruitment efforts, that those individuals are coming in and we understand that there is a um, organizational colorblindness that affects every organization at the end of the day. um, And that there is, um, you know, there is a time that we're able to check our biases as well. We're going to be doing um, bias training here before the end of the year as well. Um, and so, you know, we have the leadership buy-in. Um, we have now the proper DNI team to really address this. Um, now it's just continuing to lay those blocks in the foundation um, and looking at how do we redesign our systems? Um, you know, how do we measure, right? Um, that's such an important part of this as well as setting that baseline and setting your targets and, you know, continuing to grow from there. Um, and then uh, how do we change these essential habits that really affect, um, you know, both, I think, DE&I recruitment and as those individuals are going through the remaining, you know, portions of their employee life cycle, how do we address them at each point um, so we can ensure that there is an inclusive and equitable process occurring Um especially with recruitment as well, um, really implementing um, very solid intake calls with hiring teams as well. Just so again, you're setting that foundation um, for an equitable and inclusive process. So that I've noticed that's something that it's very easily skipped, especially when you have a very high priority role. Um, and, you know, it's we need it and we need it now. Um, it's still important to take that time and to instill, again, re- reinstilling the the bias training process in those calls and also setting forth here is the guideline that we're going to follow um, and holding I think the biggest part in this is holding people accountable um, for those actions and that's definitely something that as an HR team we are empowered to do and definitely has affected the the hiring process and the environment within Cyprus so really excited to be a part of that. Thank you for that. And I I couldn't agree more. I mean, you have to hold uh, hiring managers accountable because this can easily, easily go out of um, people's minds if it's not continued (laughs) to be pushed over and over and over. Um, So it's really important to hold people um, accountable. Uh, Paige, do you want to tell us a little bit about Blue Planet um, Energy, uh, their DNI initiatives and, and what brought them about? 
Yeah, of course. So like I touched on real quickly. Um, so SIA was kind of how we first got the inspiration, I guess, um, for our diversity, um, any kind of action on it. Um, that was kind of probably at the end of February. So I think we all know what happened pretty much right after that was COVID and it got very much pushed to the back burner. Um, we were all trying to, you know, as a small company, figure out how we could be most effective. And that kind of just wasn't on the top of the priority list. Um, and then, you know, as the world kept going, we now saw all of the really stressful times um, and protests and a ton of things going on. And it really got pushed back to the forefront. Um, and that's when we, a few people on the team were really, you know, pushing for this initiative. And we got leadership buy-in from our CEO. And a few of us were like, okay, we're just going to do this. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest things for us is having, you know, actual um, buy-in from, you know, at least five or six people on the team to get everyone else kind of inspired. Um, thankfully, we had a few places to reach out. Um, as I kind of took point on it, we're part of Elemental Accelerator. So they have their own diversity program. Um, very helpful. We run our payroll through um, a company in Hawaii where we're based out of, and they also had a diversity um HR person to help me out. So reaching out to people that you have at your disposal, even, you know, us that here, here on this panel, um, if you've had a friend or, you know, neighbors, pretty much anyone that you can talk to. Um, Cause I, I had no idea, you know, what I was doing. I'm not trained in this. I, you know, was just passionate about wanting to do this and people on our team were passionate about wanting to do this. So we have signed a pledge with CEO Action, which is an organization run by PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, and they also have a ton of resources. Um, they have unconscious bias tests, um, trainings, books, recommendations. So that was super helpful um, to just already have all these resources available to us. Um, and so moving forward from that, we have created a committee. So there's about five of us um, and we're all kind of responsible for each different thing. We have quarterly meetings. We now have a diversity at email that anyone can send in suggestions or um, if they want to talk about things. Um, we also have a confidential like Google form in case anyone in the company, since we are so small, um, you know, sometimes it can be hard to talk to your manager or coworkers about, you know, subjects such as these that can be really sensitive. Um, so having a confidential form where people can anonymously send in um, opinions or suggestions um, has been really helpful. Um, and we're now this is kind of the perfect time for me to be talking about this because we're just hiring two people. Um, and I think it's the first hiring we've done in about a year, probably since when I started like a year and a half ago. So it's kind of the first time to be able to put these into action. Um, so like uh, Melanie was saying, we really try to put our language as, you know, as gender neutral as possible, really focus on skills. And we made sure to put, you know, what our diver what diversity means to our company in the job description so that they get a feel of like what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about diverse ideas, thoughts, and people. Um, because this is, you know, a global problem that we're trying to solve and we're gonna need a, you know, a global solution for it. Um, so we're gonna need as many people as we can with as many ideas as we can. You know, it's never gonna be a one size fits all type of thing. Um and as well, we also have like kind of a hiring committee where 
we probably have four or five different people that will each interview and not really talk to each other until they all get to interview the candidate and then kind of come together at the end. So we're making sure that they're coming in with their own opinion and, um, you know, trying to make sure that all the different biases comes kind of try to neutral out at the end. Um, so yeah, there's a few more like into the culture things, but that's kind of what we're trying to do at the at the very first level at least. And we know we know it's a learning process, and we're just getting started. Um, and it's gonna you know keep growing and hopefully getting better and more effective as we as we move on. I'd like to introduce you to Mission Minded: Twelve Weeks to a Clean Energy Career, the coaching program that we have developed, purpose built to help transition professionals into the clean and climate tech economy. Folks, you've been listening to Suncast because you want those nuggets. Either you're trying to level up in your career or you're trying to really glean exactly what you need to know to figure out how to transition into this unbelievably fast growth industry. That's why we've developed Mission Minded to help you get the skills and the cohort that you need. But the doors are closing on the next cohort on March 19th. That's right, this Friday at midnight. If you'd like to learn an industry overview of clean energy, transferable skills that will help unpack your IP, ninja skills for LinkedIn that have gained 24,000 followers for me, domain authority, side door networking, negotiating 101 with none other than Chris Voss, and lots of other goodies, then I would encourage you to go check out Mission Minded at mysuncast.com. You can click on the Mission Minded button, fill out the application, sign up for a clarity call, Doors close at midnight on this Friday, March 19th. So don't tarry. This is your opportunity to get the training that you've been waiting for to level up or transition in to the clean economy. Here we go. And I think it is really important what you were saying about um, putting it in the job description. I mean, so many times companies say to me, uh, how do we become more diverse? You know, how do we attract more diverse candidates? And I, I said, well, where is it on your website? Where is it on your LinkedIn page? Where is it on your job description? So like, how do these people, like if I'm a candidate and that's really important to me, but it's not anywhere to be found, I'm going to a company where it is going to be, you know, there to be found. Um, So it's important that you tell people. Um, One thing that struck me, each of you said (laughs) um, quite a lot about unconscious bias. I have a question. I'm interested to know if any of your organizations have thought about going to a no-name policy for resumes. One of my clients has a computer system, their recruitment system, their APS system, that gives a jumbled name. So it'll be like the name of a fruit and the last name is the name of a vegetable, like for example. (laughs) So, you know, just to really, because there's a lot of data that suggests that's where it starts with someone's name. So have any of you had those conversations internally? I can say we've had conversations like that, but we have chosen not to go that route yet. Um, I will say, you know, there are some positions for which we use a recruiter and, you know, so when we get resumes, um, you know, it's, we haven't done the initial screening, they've come through a recruiter. So there's that way of kind of combating any biases that, that we may have. But, you know, I feel like, you know, look, bias is a part of our life. Bias is just a part of who we are as people and we need to be aware of them. So I, I, uh, at this point in time, really like the fact that we're just doing bias training for everybody on the hiring committee at the front end, just so that we know, like, 
look, confront your biases now. Say yeah. what they are. It, let's be realistic. We all have biases. They're not going away. We just need to confront them and try to dismantle them. That is also something that we have discussed. Um, I do follow a lot of the Neuroleadership mm -hmm. Institute's um, work on, on bias training, and that was um, definitely something that, um, you know, was part of a conversation in a larger conference that I attended last year. Um, I personally am still trying to get folks um, within our company to have more of an established like training plan so we can actually bring in candidates that don't require the solar experience mm -hmm. um, and then I think we can take that additional step to you know to block out resumes I have been a part of organizations in the past that have done that step um, but it was most mostly for roles where we were constantly recru recruiting for like mm -hmm. high level um, you know, just constantly their jobs that we're always looking for. And we did implement that. Um, and I definitely saw um, a shift in, you know, individuals' biases towards uh, certain backgrounds or, or, you know, resumes from that sense. Um, so it's, it's definitely a really interesting practice. And, um, you know, even also, you know, talking about um, creating like diversity sleets, um, you know, that's also been a part of our conversation as well in terms of recruitment. Um, but at this point, we haven't taken that step, but it's definitely on our, our list of priorities to address within the recruitment process. Is there anything you want to add, Paige? Yeah, we've we've discussed it. We just sadly don't have the manpower <laughs> behind it um, at this point. Um, but again, those are like the first few jobs that we're kind of really starting these out with. So, you know, hopefully in the future, we'll get a more sophisticated process down. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, slightly controversial, but, you know, it's something to, to think about. Um, and it's interesting that uh, what Lindsay said, that when she has had experience doing it, there were some uh, changes in, uh, in hiring. So something to think about. Um, so a couple more questions that I want to cover. Um, and, and we, we've touched on it a bit, this diversity of thought. So focusing on people with different industry backgrounds and what they can contribute um, rather than what they look like on the outside. Uh, this is a, an enormous challenge for me uh, as a recruiter to try and get companies to, to do. It, it is literally my biggest challenge to, you know, the, the, the biggest objection I get is, oh, yes, you know, we said that we want this and that we're open to this, but actually it's going to be kind of hard to train them. We don't really have the time. And, you know, so, you know, solar is so complicated. <laughs> so I'm curious to know um, when you are bringing these folks on, what's the plan? You know, is it something like an SEI, you know, where you're putting them into Solar 101 online? Is somebody, are they shadowing someone? Does it vary on role? Melanie, do you want to take that one, please? Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, we do have a plan of solar. And like I said, I'm part of our hiring process has adjusted to make sure that we're really focusing on skills rather than specific experience because focusing on that specific experience is going to get us caught in the loop of just hiring the people we know and that's not going to do us a service and that's not going to do the industry a service so yes we have developed a learning curriculum at vote solar to onboard every new employee so some new employees may have a little bit more experience with solar and energy policy and that kind of Thing. 
may, you know, it might be a little refreshers. Some people might not really need, need much of it at all, but we have outlined uh, a curriculum with different modules. And the plan is that um, every new hire will take a module, go through the materials, and there's a, a, a person on staff assigned who can, you know, answer questions and talk about those materials with the new hire. So there's really a good plan in place for making sure that there is a pace for learning, content for learning, and that kind of thing. We also want to adopt a learning culture at Vote Solar in general. So, um, you know, I, I can tell you, I encourage my staff to set aside a couple of hours every week for learning on whatever topic they, you know, they might feel they need to dig, dig into. So we approach this as, you know, it's not a one-time onboarding learning. It's a continual learning process. I will say that goes for our diversity, equity, and inclusion learning as well. So wanted to de definitely touch on um, some of the things we're doing internally with our culture. Um, and we might be talking about this a little bit more as well. But, you know, we definitely are, we have um, uh, established a working group for uh, education uh, on DEIJ, and that working group has come up with a set of core competencies. Those core competencies are going to be put into everybody's job description, including every existing employee's job description, um, and they're going to be included in performance evaluations at the end of the year. So uh, at the end of next year, I should say. So we are next uh, creating learning pathways for everybody on our staff to meet those core competencies on diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. So those competencies involve ourselves as individuals, confronting our own biases, that kind of thing, how we work as teams across difference, how we work as partners with people in the outside world, and how we uh, how we operate just as actors in society in general. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, a working group uh, was put together to develop some partnership principles for Vote Solar. So we uh, put together uh, principles for working in equity and justice with frontline and communities of color. Those will also be incorporated into everybody's job descriptions and into performance evaluations at the end of 2021. So our next round of learning in this effort to become really an organization that is very focused uh, as a learning organization um, is to set out a curriculum that will help all of our staff meet those core competencies. Can I just ask you a follow-up question, please, to the um, solar piece uh, specifically? Is the curriculum that uh, Vote Solar, um, the curriculum that you're talking about, that you're outlining, is that um, using third-party curriculum or is that something that you all have done in-house? So you've built that yourselves through your learning and development program? Yeah, we, we built it ourselves um, okay. as an organization. So that was a fairly collaborative process. A number of people had their hands on putting together um, different modules of like, you know, we feel like this is critical information for a new hire to have. That's, I mean, I, I'm so impressed by that. Like really impressed by that. Kudos to, to you all, because I think that takes a lot of time. And that's what we're talking about is not just talking about it. <laughs> actually doing the hard work. It is, yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> Lindsay, what about Cyprus? Uh, yeah, definitely. So just back to, you know, in terms of the diversity committee, one thing that I've uh, discovered from kind of, we've done iterations of this committee in the past and they it hasn't quite taken off. Now it's actually taking off and that's really exciting. Um, but one thing to definitely mention, especially for folks that are listening in, is it's, it's so important to set designated positions within that committee so that you could address 
the all the different facets that you have to cover, um, right? Because otherwise it, it can turn into that, okay, we're just talking a lot about all the things we need to cover um, and not, you know, okay, this per you are in charge of our education. Let's you you have this priority. We'll circle back, um, or you are in charge of our communication strategy, and we'll revisit that schedule. So first and foremost, I from what I've learned from trying to do this, um, you know, from myself, it's uh, it's so important to have those roles set within your committee, um, so you have a really organized process to tackle all the items that you have. Maybe from an HR perspective, that maybe those committee members who aren't working in HR day to day, you know, aren't aware of. Um, in terms of, you know, again, it's a process in terms of how we are getting our educational system built up from personally not coming from solar. The only thing I had when I started was solar 101. Um, and so that was a really heavy science session for me. Um, and so today uh, we have a Cypress University site that's filled with so many different modules um, that's now been incorporated into a larger, what we call our Cypress toolkit. Um, that has a pathway for new hires as well. Um, also incorporating an onboarding system. Um, we utilize Greenhouse for recruitment and they do also have an onboarding system where you can task out. Um, and that has been such a learning opportunity for all of our hiring managers. We are especially dealing with a lot of individuals who have never been managers before. Um, so just starting with the basics um, of onboarding and ensuring that there is a plan in place um, and that the tasking is not just is working for the people behind the scenes who are working up logistics, but is also working for those managers and ensuring that you know they know that it's not necessarily such an arduous task to like set an onboarding plan. That we have a system that will do it for them as well, and they can incorporate any of the modules that they would they think would be needed for that new hire from the toolkit and from Cypress University. Um, there is definitely also a shadowing element involved within our culture. That's just always been um, a part of it. We have done um, mentoring programs as well. Now we have launched a more formal mentor program um, that I'm really excited to dive into um, next year. And we can see, um, you know, how we can build up some of the deficiencies and that people feel they may have in their skill set. Um, you know, not just focused on like their personal development, but also, I mean, for me, it's like there's certain areas in the business that I want to learn more about and what we're really focusing on there. Um, and we did also do a, a what we call our solar intern, um, which is a rotational program um, that we specifically are pulling a, an intern from a community college in the Los Angeles area that they come in and they do a rotational program with multiple departments. Um, and that's it's we do focus on individuals who have never had any solar experience before. So even just going through that exercise um, with those departments, we built up a really great curriculum for our interns because um, it's also just, you know, intern programs are such an important part in building that recruitment pipeline as well. Um, and as much as we've really built up a curriculum there, that's something we're definitely trying to mirror in our full-time process. Um, and again, it's just continuing the work. You know, every month I pretty much have a, a job that comes across my desk that is with a manager who's never recruited before, nor ever managed somebody before. <laughs> um, and so when you start to see those trends occurring, um, it's important to start to write these processes and this information down. Uh, so you have a standardized process when those individuals come across your way as, a, as an HR professional. So um, yeah, really a lot, a lot to do and a lot more to go <laughs> in terms of where we're going. 
But I think it's so important. I, you know, you're one of the first people I think to ever say that to me, that it's we're working with managers to recruit who have never actually managed nor recruited. That is such an enormous opportunity to ingrain in how they will always be to have DEI at the forefront what they do. Because I think a lot of the challenge that I have with managers middle to senior managers who've been in the industry forever, they have someone that they want to hire. HR is saying, no, you can't hire another one of your friends from the company that you used to work at. And the C-suite is saying, please, let's bring some other people in. But they are so used to wanting to bring their buddies from the other company and they all travel to the next company together, right? So I think that... um, I love that you said that, Lindsay, because I haven't, I have not heard that before. And I think that that may be one of the solutions to addressing this, doing it with younger managers, more junior managers. And, and it, if I can add on to that, it's, it goes deeper. It goes beyond just the hiring. Lindsay, I'm so glad you brought this up because um, the, the success of new candidates that we're hiring from across different backgrounds very much depends on the competence um, and comfort and confidence of managers to be able to communicate and manage across lines of difference. Mm-hmm. So, you know, managers really need um, a lot of support and a lot of training, um, you know, in order to um, communicate effectively and give effective feedback um, to people from different backgrounds, regardless of what that different background might be. Um, if your managers aren't set, set up for success to be good managers, then those candidates, those new hires also aren't set up, set up for success. Hey, do you have anything to add? Not particularly on new hires. Um, I guess we, we sell through a dealer network. Um, so thankfully we kind of already have a process for onboarding, you know, dealers who, I mean, already know about the industry, but, um, you know, that's an easy way for them to kind of figure out how we work and, um, you know, what our company culture is like kind of right off the bat. Um, and then thankfully two of my coworkers, um, they're excellent trainers. Um, Kyle Bolger specifically has been with solar energy international for, I think 20 years at this point. Um, so it's very knowledgeable and always, there's always kind of someone in our company that you can reach out to and they're happy to help. Um, that is kind of one of the benefits of being small is that, you know, everybody is knows so much about their position specifically. Um, so, and, you know, they're very open to, um, you know, helping people out and educating them. So. And I think it's great when you do come from a smaller company that is addressing this right from the beginning, because it's a lot easier to do it from the beginning than to try and do it retroactively yeah yeah exactly and then and then ongoing support we do have like quarterly diversity meetings where you know we do have a kind of a a hot topic that we're talking about um right now we're going to be talking about what we want to do in our hiring practices and anyone on the team can kind of chime in um and we send around book recommendations and videos and then every week we do have an ohana learning time so we have one hour set aside for all of us to kind of do and learn about whatever we want um and then this upcoming week we're if anyone wants to present to the rest of the team on what they've been you know researching um we're going to do that this week so it's nice to have that like collaboration and learning that's ongoing um because i think it's easy to kind of get just get stuck in the rut yeah 
Um, so I'd like to open it up. I don't know if anybody that's listening to us at the moment <laughs> has any questions or anything that you want to ask. You mean I would get them through the chat. I haven't seen any questions come in. Um, so I've gone, oh, no questions yet. Okay. I normally get lots of questions. Um, so are the, is there any, um, I'm just trying to think there's anything else I wanted to cover. I was like, can I ask a, one that we haven't covered? And I'm curious because we don't really have, have a plan for this yet. Um, yeah. How do you guys measure, measure the success of these programs? Um, I think that's kind of where I'm stuck now um, is, you know, the next step. Um, are we doing this correct? How can we improve the continuous learning of it? I, I would say that there are a couple of ways that we're measuring success. So, First, with regard to, you know, just things that can be quantified, um, you know, I, I'd say our, our operations team um, ha is doing a project to track our staff since 2015 to include uh, information that we know of, like race, gender identity, tenure, promotions, that kind of thing. Who are our staff and how have they advanced through our organization? So the, at the end of this year, we're going to start analyzing that data um, to try to identify trends um, that, that, that are bearing out um, so that we have a clearer view of where some inequities might lie within our processes, within our practices, and try to address those. Um, at the same time, trying to do all of that with an eye toward confidentiality and making sure, you know, everybody is um, treated with respect and nobody's uh, information is shared um, unduly. Um, the other thing that we're tracking goes into uh, is a little bit well, it's very hard to quantify. It's our culture, right? Um, we do an annual staff culture survey um, as part of some of our uh, inclusivity um, and um, equity provisions, uh, uh, goals and things that we're trying to do. Um, you know, this is where we're trying to really, you know, understand where our staff feels like they can come to work as their authentic selves, where our staff feels like they have to code switch. Do our staff feel like they're being treated well? Do our staff feel like they are suffering microaggressions or even overt aggressions? Um, that kind of thing. So um, keeping track of, um, you know, how people are responding um, in this culture survey is a really, really important part of um, the measuring and, and uh, yeah, accountability work that we're doing. Um, you know, I, I also talked about um, how our core competencies for diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, and for equitable partnerships are going to be baked into our job descriptions and into our performance evaluations. So that for us is a key point of accountability, um, being able to establish a system and establish metrics for holding everybody accountable towards their own learning, towards being good partners, towards being good colleagues with people across a range of differences. So we have definitely know that measurement accountability is really, really important. Lindsay? Yeah, so first and foremost, I will say that the biggest thing you can do to make your metrics actually mean something is to tie those goals into your business goals. Um, to tie the goals into the goals of the leadership team. Because obviously, they, I mean, when they're going to executive team meetings, what are they reviewing most of the time? A lot of different dashboards and a lot of different metrics that tie to the business. So if those DNI metrics are not a part of that, 
then you're definitely missing some buy-in there. Um, you could have leadership buy-in, and if there's pushback to include that in that, um, you know, it's something that I would say on in terms of like, if, if this is really important, that this should, this should tie directly back into our business goals. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so important to measure the behaviors and not facts. Um, and, and how the actual business, like how the actual employee life cycle is occurring. Um, so, you know, you can do it in multiple categories in recruitment and training and external diversity and advancement and your culture metrics. Um, there's so many different pathways with metrics. Um, so I won't, you know, necessarily dive in there cause you can keep going on about, you know, what kind of metrics you can pull to accurately, um, measure your efforts from that end. The one thing I will say from experience is you definitely do a disservice to the integrity of your surveys if you're not prepared to take action after you receive those results. Um, that is so important um, to employee, you know, into employee engagement that, you know, if you continue to do surveys and there's not a ton of action done after those, then people are, are not going to do your survey. Um, there's already a barrier when it's coming from HR sometimes. So you want to take that barrier away as much as possible by being prepared as a team to address what you're probably going to get back from those surveys. So those are my tidbits. There. <laughs> Such a good point. Like accountability, being ready for the answers to the questions that you're asking. And then what, what do you do about it? Um, having a plan of action. Um, I have a question. Uh, from Matt Harris, um, many of us are working hard on these transformations. How can we collaborate and share lessons learned and resources beyond forums like this? Is anyone tracking info that is working um, for them and making them available as an open source? That's a great question. Um, I guess I can start there. Um, so the best one that I've found or um, for us, at least, was the CEO Action Pledge. Um, you can Google it. It's pretty um, easy to join. Um, and then there's four commitments. And one of the commitments is sharing best and worst practices um, with everybody else that is signed. And there's over, I think, a thousand companies. Um, so you can go through and there's um, action plans that people have done. Um, so you can read about a company that's in agriculture and what they've done for maternity leave or, um, you know, a company that's in tech and what they've done um, for trying to make like easier conversations. And those have been really helpful for, you know, either following that plan to a T or getting inspiration um, from them. And then I think the other thing that has been really helpful is reaching out to any of the organizations you're part of. I think this is something that's really picked up a lot of momentum, um, especially in the last few months. So SEPA, SIA, you know, any of the state organizations, um, you know, anybody that you're working with, I think are really good resources. Um, and, you know, you're going to run into people like Melanie and Lindsay that are really, really happy to help out um, and give you resources. Um, you know, they don't want to do it just for them. You know, this is an industry-wide and worldwide thing that we're all trying to work towards. So um, I think everybody that you reach out to, or at least my experience is everyone's been super helpful. So that's my advice. I think that's great advice, Paige. I was thinking the same thing as Lindsay and Melody were speaking. I was like, do you mind speaking to a few of my clients? So <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, and anything you're working on that's open source, uh, information that you use that we can share with other people. 
definitely working on that. Uh, the one thing that we do have is an open source item that's not directly related to diversity efforts, but I think is a helpful resource for everybody is we did create a resource guide around our racial injustice series that is um, essentially a guide of, um, you know, how how do you act um, in on these efforts um, to create, a, you know, a bigger voice for the the movement that we are behind. Um, and that's something that we've actually shared with multiple other um, companies in the same space. Um, I will also say in terms of from the HR end, uh, we are working with Soul Systems to build a partnership there and to also create, um, you know, some type of network for the HR professionals in this field. Um, definitely something that I've noticed um, coming from different fields that, you know, we don't all talk amongst each other sometimes. And there is definitely a um, very competitive market out there with the pool that we have, not even realizing that if we were to broaden that to diverse hiring pools, that we wouldn't necessarily feel that kind of competition and feeling like we don't want anyone to steal the talent that we have. Um, so that's something that we're definitely, um, I'm really invested in doing. I'm still, you know, fairly young in my career. And so it's really important for me to build those connections um, as I've continued um, fostering those relationships from my previous roles. And I talked to a lot of different HR colleagues in terms of how they're addressing this in their different industries as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but having that forum specifically for HR professionals in the energy field, I think is so important to create and to foster um, so that, that this kind of information is like easier to share. Like then I'd have a link ready, but at this point don't. <laughs> I absolutely love that idea. I think that's a great idea. Um, and when you have all of those HR professionals together, and I mean, cause we have to do this together we, we, we cannot do this siloed. This is, we, we have to do this for the betterment of the industry and then we will all benefit. So I think that's a great idea. Melanie, do you have anything that you'd like to add? Um, just that I think that's a phenomenal idea. And Lindsay, it's so exciting to know that you are working with Soul Systems on a network like that that's tremendous. Um, you know, Vote Solar's been privileged to be a part of, again, a learning cohort uh, of environmental organizations. So we sort of have our own group um, to share best practices. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there are um, a lot of different professionals out there who I think would be open to, you know, again, a, like an HR professionals group. Um, I myself belong to like a more general equity officers group. Um, so there, there are some groups out there and it's exciting to know that there are more in terms of sharing resources and finding more resources. There are so many resources available. A couple that I love um, is a website called racialequitytools.org. There is a plethora of tools, resources, articles, books, you name it, uh, available on that website, um, even some curricula. Um, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation has come out with some really excellent materials to get you started as well. So those are just a couple of resources among the, again, large universe of resources available out there but that I found very helpful. That's great. We have one more question. This will be our last question because we only have five minutes left. Um, this is from Sabrine. Um, would it help hiring managers if applicants identified things like their race and gender in cover letters? Should they belong to an underrepresented group or is this inappropriate? I can take this. Mm -hmm. It is not, I don't think it's appropriate. It's the same as if we were to mark or have a tag next to a candidate's profile that says they are a diverse candidate. That's reinforcing bias, yep. um, in my opinion. Um, and so it 
it, I don't think that that's something that we should be suggesting applicants to do. Um, there's a reason why those EEOC surveys are not seen by managers either. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we never want to make a judgment based upon anybody's background. And that's why it's so important for it to be at the bottom line, you're going to have a diverse, you're going to start to bring in diverse candidates when your process is equitable and not just in hiring, but in onboarding and training as well. Um, so this is, this is everything Sherm tells you not to do essentially. So without that. <laughs> anyone else want to comment? We all in agreement. All in agreement. <laughs> All right. Well, I um, am happy to, to wrap up now just a few minutes early because I have um, right after this I'm doing a um, diversity and <laughs> objection handling session trying to work with hiring managers and kind of what uh, their summary blocks have been internally and hopefully try and help them. Um, but is there anything anyone else wants to add before we say goodbye? Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. <laughs> Just one more thought from me. I do like want to make sure that the audience is clear that there's a difference between recruiting and hiring for more representative candidates and creating a culture in your organizations that is welcoming and inclusive and will keep those new candidates and keep those excellent new hires when you when you hire them. So um, in an ideal world, you are working on your culture to be more inclusive and more welcoming before you go out and try to hire candidates from across different backgrounds. That is not realistic at all. These things are probably happening in tandem with each other. But just to be clear, like um, a lot of there's a lot of thinking out there that just hiring uh, for candidates and new employees from across different backgrounds is going to get us where we need to be. And, and that is not so. If we do that and don't work on our cultures, we can actually harm ourselves even more. I mean, it's such a great point. I really appreciate you clarifying that. And I think you're right. It does happen a lot in tandem where it should probably the inclusion piece should come first and then the hiring should come second. But unfortunately, it does seem that they're happening at the same time. But thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate it. Just something brief to say as well. Um, in, in in terms of like, there is no code here that we can follow to create a successful um, hiring process and inclusive culture. I will say that from talking with, again, HR professionals from a wide range of industries and big, huge established companies to smaller startups, no one you know, everyone says we haven't figured this out yet, but I think what we all forget is it's it's a it's a process and it's something that you have to continue um, and have to hold your teams accountable for um, constantly. And so, yeah, there is no perfect code. Don't feel that stress to feel like you have to crack this to open up this pipeline. Um, you know, it's all a work in progress. It's definitely important to um, to remember that and to set your priorities and then move on from there. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, but I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. 
A special thank you to our sponsors who helped make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.